Today's reading is from the Good News according to John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great cloud that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him, and he had been done to him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. So this past week, we were returning to town from Saratoga Beach. And maybe you've seen it before, but on the side of the road from the country market is a sign on a fence in front of a house. This wooden sign has an image of a cross in wood on a blue painted background. And the words, all capitals, say, Savior. This past week, the vertical piece of the cross was missing, probably vandalism, which is really too bad and not very nice. But before I was a Christian, I sort of felt like these Christians with signs like this were trying to shove their religion down my throat with roadside slogans. I saw things like this as a bit of a combative display meant to stick it to us heathen secularists. They made me very mad when I saw them. Now, they don't make me mad anymore, for obvious reasons, maybe. But I must admit that signs like this tend to worry me for another couple of reasons. One is that there are many people who see it as aggressive as I used to, sort of shoving it in their face. So it's yet another reason to be annoyed at Christians. The other, though, might be just as important, that people might not even know what it means. What's a savior? The word comes with plenty of baggage. What's a savior? And do we need saving at all? I mean, so few people out there are worried that they're, so few people out there are worried that they're headed to hell. So what does anybody need saving from at all? Our passage for today from Palm Sunday is all about this. It's all about salvation, the meaning of Jesus as Savior. 
In fact, our first hymn began, and we said it, said it in the children's time. We began with the word Hosanna, which means Lord, save, or Lord, rescue us now, which comes from the words of the crowd. People to sh- the people shout Hosanna. They shout, Lord, save. They shout, and blessed is one, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus hops on a donkey and rides into town, and they wave their palm branches in joy. Now, if palm branches don't mean much to you other than sunny weather, let me clue you in a little bit. You see, palm branches, biblically speaking, are a symbol of national triumph and victory for Jesus' people. Because about 200 years earlier, Jesus' people, the Jews, had revolted against the Greek empire that had occupied and oppressed them for so long. They were led by this general, Judas Maccabeus, and they actually succeeded in tossing these enemies out and establishing an independent country. And when they did, they marched into the city, smashing pagan idols and pulling down foreign altars, purifying the temple of alien influences, all the while waving palm branches and singing psalms like the 118th Psalm, a hymn of thanks and victory after victory in battle, which is where the word Hosanna comes from. Unfortunately, though, this newfound Jewish independence only lasted about a century before the next empire. The Romans came in and undid it all. They did it all over again. They oppressed God's people. And they're the ones in charge when Jesus shows up again on the scene. So when this crowd begins whipping out the palm fronds and starts chanting Hosanna, you know they're expecting the same kind of thing. It's like waving the stars and stripes after the American Revolution or the North Vietnamese flag after the fall of Saigon. Both psalms and palms mean national independence. And this miracle-working, dead-body-raising Jesus, he's the one who's going to bring it, the crowds think. He's going to come in and he's going to toss out the Romans for good. This is Jesus' victory march. No one can stop him now. Now the story is playing out as it should. Everything is on the up and up, and Jesus is on a roll, but it doesn't play out the way that it's supposed to. Does it? Just as he seems unstoppable, Jesus is stopped. (laughs) Spoiler alert, if you read ahead, it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work. When Jesus finally makes his way in, there's no great victory march. Jesus ends up betrayed by one of his closest friends and abandoned by most others, reviled as a traitor by his own people. He's beaten, he's tortured, he's spit upon, and the worst part is how they mock him. Remember how the crowd was all amped up and raising palm branches? Remember how they called Jesus the son of David, the king of Israel, on his way to the city? Well, the Romans satirize Jesus by weaving for him a crown of thorns. They say, you want to be a king? Here's your crown. They dress him in a purple robe, the color of royalty. They parade him in front of the crowd And Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, says, here's your king, this guy, the guy with the crown on and the robe on, he's your king. 
You can imagine the laughter and the jeers as the crowd replies, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And on Pilate's orders, they nailed Jesus' feet and hands to timber and they set him high above on the hill. Above him, they nail this sign again that says the king of the Jews. One more final mocking tribute and jab to Christ before he dies. If you think about it, it's a bit of a strange way for a story to go. But we don't tend to realize just how strange this is, this satire. Kings don't look like this. Kings aren't captured or put on trial or executed because if you're king and this happens to you, it means you're not the king anymore. Crucifixion is a criminal's death. This whole scene is an ancient version of a Saturday Night Live skit, like Alec Baldwin showing Donald Trump's less-than-presidential style. Jesus couldn't be any less presidential. He couldn't be any less royal. Once crowds shouted, Lord, save, Hosanna. But here, Jesus is the one who ends up needing saving. Today, Palm Sunday is a huge letdown in that way. Because what began as a lively celebration turns into a humiliating failure. When you think of the phrase, to save the world, what do you think of? Jesus' contemporaries hope for the overthrow of their Roman oppressors. We picture the overthrow of something like the downfall of communism, right? Or the downfall of capitalism, or the ending of radical Islam, or the ending of the oppressive West. Terrorists foiled before they can set off the nuke. Or the bad guys get beat and peace, truth, justice, and democracy are restored forever. This is the strangest, strangeness of this story that we who hear this story year after year seem to miss. Jesus doesn't accomplish anything like that at all. The crowds call out to Jesus, Lord, save. Jesus suffers and Jesus dies. There's no mission accomplished banner for Jesus. Jesus doesn't save anyone from anything in any way that they can see or expect. Jesus is no savior, as the sign says, by any measure out there. He can't even save himself, it seems, from the cross. It's such a strange story. And, you know, this John's version is maybe the strangest, actually, because if you jump back to today's passage, there's this fascinating line where it says that Jesus' disciples stood at the sidelines of the Palm Parade as it went by, but they didn't actually understand what was happening. There was more to this event. There was more to Jesus than meets the eye. Something they didn't understand, it says, until he was, quote, glorified. 
In John's story, you'll remember, Jesus is glorified on the cross. Looking back on the whole thing, this whole thing in the light of the resurrection, spoiler alert again, there is an Easter Sunday after Good Friday. And when it does, for the disciples, this light bulb goes off for them. They finally get it. They finally understand. They get how Jesus saves. At the palm parade, they expected the rightful king to have a jewel-colored crown placed on his head. Instead, Jesus was crowned with jagged thorns. They thought Jesus was going up to have a golden scepter placed in his hand. Instead, the palms of his hand are pierced by nails. They thought he was on his way to take up his rightful seat on a gilded throne. But instead, his throne is a throne of wood. His throne. His coronation takes place on a cross. According to John, on the cross, Jesus trades all power for powerlessness and is crowned king. The disciples don't fully understand the palm parade until after his crucifixion, his glorification. This is salvation itself unveiled. You see, we live in a world that believes that it will be saved by force, by power, by control, and by violence by bloodshed, by the defeat of enemies, whatever our cause may be, whether it's chemical weapons attacks, suicide bombs, or airstrikes, whether we are enlightened modern people or unenlightened pre-modern people, whether it's the mastery of nature through technology or the mastery of people by public perception, liberal or conservative, Christian or otherwise, ever since the first murder, the first spilling of blood, of Abel's blood by Cain. As a species, we have believed that peace, justice, and all those other good things will be won by the right people, gaining the power from the wrong people and holding on to it for dear life that good will triumph forcibly by stamping out evil. But the scriptures, the scriptures teach us that in Jesus Christ, God brings salvation to us and the whole world in a completely different way. In him, the Apostle Paul writes, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on he- in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Not by killing the bad guys, not by vanquishing his enemies, but by giving his life in love for the world. For his enemies. 
Jesus saves by not settling all the right scores, but by shattering vengeance with incredible acts of love and forgiveness. Jesus saves by giving himself completely for the world and giving his life over to the will of God to the point of death and beyond. They didn't know it when Jesus rode into town, but in Christ on the cross, God would win a mighty victory, not only in military might, but in complete vulnerability, self-sacrifice, and death. They didn't know it at the time. They didn't understand this at the palm parade, but when Jesus was glorified, they finally understood that this is how Jesus saves. Christ not, comes not just to save us from a fiery afterlife, but comes to save us in this life too. He comes to save the world as it is, to bring heaven, the eternal presence of everlasting life, to a world that is per- perishing in its own suffering and sin. Jesus saves us from ourselves, from the mess we are in, human being against human being, one retaliation after the other, playing out on a global scale and playing out in our everyday lives. In the cross, he puts an end to it all. Jesus saves not by spilling the blood of others, but by shedding his own and pouring it out for the sake of the world, to transform it and to make it new. So this is what that word, Savior, means. This is what that now defaced sign on the highway means and how appropriate to have a sign defaced in this way because it's the same way that Jesus in his own body was defaced for the sake of the world. This is how Jesus works. This is how God saves the world, the only way it will be saved, through self offering, through self-emptying, through self-sacrifice, through self-giving love. Jesus paved this path out of the way things are. And we can experience this salvation here and now by taking up the cross and following in his footsteps. It means by the power of his grace, we don't have to repay each other evil for evil. It means we don't have to be enslaved by anger and hatred anymore. It means we don't. We can be freed from our petty grudges, our bigotries, and our selfishness. It means we can forgive instead of being consumed by our past, by poison and pain, because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, brothers and sisters, they were right at the Palm Sunday parade. Not right in the way, not right in the true way, but little did they know that what they said was true. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. 
And this is how he does it. God in Christ has paved this path for us to become whole, new, and different people living a whole new, different way by the power of his love, by the power of the cross. So wave your palms, shout Hosanna, and cling to that old rugged cross for dear life. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.